There are some times when scripture, it's almost like saying it, reading it, this isn't enough. You just have to sing it almost. In fact, um, I'm not the only one who thinks that. Luke thought it so much that he put four hymns in the first two chapters of his gospel. And we're going to be rereading, we're going to be reading the first of those four hymns today. But I'm, even Luke wasn't, I mean, it even predates Luke. In fact, if you, uh, there's a website where you can listen to, uh, the scripture being read, uh, the Hebrew scripture being read by a rabbi in Hebrew. Um, I know some of you probably are not interested in hearing Hebrew since you have no clue what it, what it means. Um, but if you listen on this website to Isaiah chapter six, the rabbi, um, this is the part, this is the story. Sorry about the microphone. It's really bugging me this morning. Um, this is the part, uh, where Isaiah comes before the presence of God. He's in the throne room and he's seeing the angels flying around and the angels are calling out to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven or the whole earth is full of his glory. And when it gets to that point, the rabbi stops reading the text and starts chanting it, singing it. There's just certain times where the scripture, reading it just isn't enough. You have to slow down like a, like an opera where the aria takes time to stop the action so you can savor the moment. Like a Broadway musical where a certain phrase jumps into a song. The story stops and you just enjoy that moment. I don't know if I would feel the same if West Side Story wasn't a musical. And instead of singing, I feel pretty, oh so pretty, if she just says it, it just wouldn't be right, would it? There's just certain times where you just have to sing it. And so this morning, we're going to read a song of praise. It's not the only thing we're going to read. We're actually going to read uh, what led to the song of praise. You know what? Put me on the wireless microphone, please. All right, you might have to pull me down a bit. I'm sorry about this, guys. Sometimes that microphone just doesn't want to stay on my ear, and today is one of those days, so I apologize. Uh, Luke chapter 1. Stand with me as we read from the Word of God. Luke 1, we will start in verse 39. We're going to read all the way through 56. Luke 1 39, these are God's words. And if you let them, they will change your life. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And they, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, 
From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Pray with me. Father, as we read the praise of the pregnant this morning, as we read these words of praise and adoration of you, these words that remind us of your great works in times past, that alert us of your great works in the days of right in front of us, that bring to our mind the mercies that are made new every morning. Father, help us to have the same reaction that these two women had. Help us be lost in praise to you. Help us be overcome by your goodness, that your praise may always be on our lips. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In those days, Mary had just found out she was pregnant. It was an impossible pregnancy. It was, there was no way that Mary could possibly become pregnant, except, well, she was pregnant. You see, the, the God, God doesn't get hung up on our impossibilities. He's not limited like we are. And so she decides to go she takes the angel's cue. See, if, if the angel had been talking to Joseph instead of Mary, the angel would have had to say, now you need to get up and you need to go see Elizabeth and Zachariah. But the angel doesn't have to tell Mary that. Just that subtle hint. She's pregnant and she's been pregnant for six months. And that's enough for Mary to say, well, I better go see her. And so she gets to going traveling from Galilee all the way down to south of Jerusalem to the hill country of Judah. We don't know exactly what town. That's not important. What is important is what happens when she walks in the door. So in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. She's rushing there. Now, by the time she goes down to Bethlehem to give birth to the Christ, she's not rushing anywhere. <laughs> But in this case, she's rushing. Luke is doing this on purpose. He's given us the image of someone who is serving God in such a way that they don't just serve God when they get around to it, but they make it a priority. So God calls Abraham. When, when God tells Abraham, you need to sacrifice your son Isaac, the next morning, the scripture says, Abraham arose early and set out on the journey. In other words, when God told them to do something, they respond with an obedience that's not just a, I'll eventually get to it, God. Right now I've got to wrap some things up. Right now I have to... No, he spent the night preparing so that early in the morning they could leave. That's what Mary does. She hears from the angel. She says, I got to get some stuff together and I got to make my way there. And so she hurries. With haste, she goes to the hill country to a town in Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, that would have been a several-day journey. That, that verse, that the scripture just kind of 
passes along to get into the story, but it would have taken her a couple of days to get there. Have you ever tried to rush somewhere and then you get there and you're exhausted? I can imagine Mary is plum tuckered out by the time she gets there, but not for long. Look at verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, we don't know what she said, but apparently it was pretty, it was pretty good, pretty good greeting because Mary's not the only one who enters the house. And Elizabeth, oh, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me paint the scene. Here's a pregnant woman that shouldn't be pregnant walking into the house of another pregnant woman who shouldn't be pregnant. Elizabeth does not know about Mary. No one knows about Mary. Mary barely knows about Mary. (laughs) Mary only knows about Elizabeth because the angel told her. She's been hiding out at home. I suppose if you're old and pregnant, um, you don't really get out a whole lot. You probably rest. You probably stay at home anyway. She hasn't been out and about. Mary hears from this angel. That's the only reason she knows Elizabeth is pregnant. Elizabeth doesn't even know that Mary is pregnant. But as soon as the sound of Mary's voice hits Elizabeth's ear, the baby inside Elizabeth jumps. Now, I don't know. Some of y'all, some of y'all have been pregnant and you know this. I've never been pregnant. Okay. I'm, thank God for that. I don't need to be pregnant. Thank you very much. I'm perfectly fine not being pregnant. But my wife has been pregnant. And when she was pregnant, every single child was different. James was kind of active, but then he got to be not active. Scary not active. Turned out we had to uh, have an emergency C-section with him a couple weeks before he was due. He was supposed to be born on Father's Day, but she couldn't let me have that, so... (laughs) That's okay. I don't. I'm not blaming her for that. It's his fault. Um, no. Um, the cord got wrapped around his neck, and they had to go in and do a C-section and get him out. And he was perfectly fine. Um, we had a little hiccups along the way for the first couple of days, but he turned he turned out okay. Mitchell was a soccer champion. He, he or a or a world class drummer. I'm not sure which, but he was bounding and kicking and banging and all kinds of stuff. I mean, he was ready to come out of there. Brantley was almost no movement at all. Like through the whole pregnancy, he was calm. I don't know. I don't know how he was so calm in the womb because he's not now, but he was calm as a cucumber most of the time. And Savannah, Savannah was kind of a mix. Of course, Savannah had other things going on. And so we were scared for other reasons, but she turned out okay too. But every child was different. Every child had its own personality, and it had its own personality in the womb. Like, I knew when Mitchell was born, goodness, we're not going to be able to keep up with him. He's, he's too wild. And sure enough, he's too wild. His own personality showing even before he's born. It makes me think about passages like Jeremiah 1, where he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I've been preparing you, Jeremiah. Even from your conception, I have been preparing you. Even before your perception, I laid out the plans for you so that when you were conceived, I started putting those plans into action. And here we see 
the prophet, the forerunner, the one who would come before the Messiah, who would announce the coming of the Messiah, announcing the coming of the Messiah six months in utero. He can't even wait until he's born to start fulfilling his mission. He can't even wait for the birth to happen before he begins to do what God has called him to do. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit and he would prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And here he is preparing the way, announcing the Messiah. I don't know, I've never been pregnant, but it seems to me like a mother just kind of knows when a baby's responding to something. Maybe it's a voice. Maybe it's a certain action. I could, um, when Carrie was pregnant, I could push in on her belly in a certain spot and get the baby to kick where I was pushing. Of course, I was crowding him in, <laughs> you know, putting that little bit of force, you know, crowding him in a little bit. So they wanted to kick it back out. They were like, give me some more room here. There's not enough room as it is. But babies have this way, even in the womb, of recognizing what's going on. And here's John the Baptist, knowing that the Messiah is near and getting excited. I think that's pretty incredible. And I think it goes to show just, just, just what that being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's no accident Luke put that there. In fact, look, look at verse 42. Look at where this leads, because she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. You know what she starts to do? She starts to prophesy. When the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth, she immediately starts to prophesy. It's almost as though the Holy Spirit has given her words to speak in the moment. Oh, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, this is the same Spirit that led prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel, Micah and Joel. The same Spirit that rested on Moses the same spirit that led people to prophesy. And he's the same spirit that has just filled Elizabeth. And now she is prophesying. Let me, let me put, let me put the formula together for you. When God's Holy Spirit comes on you, you cannot help but proclaim Christ. I'm getting into this a little bit more tonight. As we're talking about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, guess where one of the passages we're going to see? The Holy Spirit, right here. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth, she begins to prophesy. And what does she prophesy? Well, she starts, blessed are you among women. But that's kind of a stair step. Because look right after it. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. This word for blessing is the same word that we use for eulogy. It's not the same word as blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not that same word. It's a little bit different word. This is the word that is, for the most part, used of God. This is one of the few times where it's not directly used in relation to God. In fact, um, when when they referred to God, uh, many Jews will say something like the blessed one or blessed be he. That's, That's the idea of this word. This is a word of praise. You have been praised among women. Praised are you among women. But more than that, and really, that's just the result of the bigger praise. It's a stair step. You you step on the first step in order to get to the higher step. 
He does this in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am the Lord. Be still is not the main point of that verse. Know is the main point of that verse. Know that I'm God. But in order to get to knowing that I'm God, you got to be still first. You got to shut your mouth so you can know that I'm God. You've got to stop what you're doing so you can know that I'm God. You've got to be still. You've got to be quiet. You've got to let yourself rest long enough to see that I am God so that you'll know that I'm God. It's a stair step, and that's exactly what's going on here. You're blessed among women because blessed is the fruit of your womb. He goes on. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She can't even, how, how, how does she even know that? How does she know that this is the mother of her Lord? Verse 41, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. When she hears Mary's voice, that baby leaps for joy. The Holy Spirit comes on her and she recognizes what God is doing and she's overwhelmed. And all she can say is, how do I get this? How, how, how did this happen to me? How am I blessed enough to have the mother of my Lord right here with me? Is she praising Mary? Yeah, not really. The only praise for Mary comes by extension from praising the child that she's carrying. See, it's not just so much about the mother. It's about the Lord. It's about the baby in her womb. The baby that the Holy Spirit has conceived. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. I don't know how you leap in the womb, but somehow he found a way. And mama, well, mama just knows. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, how did she know that? How did she know that this woman, this mother of her Lord, has believed what God has told her? Holy Spirit. By the way, I wonder if Zachariah overheard that. You know, the guy that didn't believe when the same angel told him and who now couldn't talk for himself. He, he was still mute. Six months into this pregnancy, he's still mute. He's got a couple more months to go before that baby's born and he finally speaks up. I wonder what he thought when he saw this little girl who's virtually a nobody who puts faith in God's word and is being used by God to be the mother of the Messiah. I wonder what he thought when he realized even a teenage girl can believe God and I, an old priest, can't. I wonder if he heard. And then Mary responds. They call this song that she's about to say, that it's a hymn, a song, they call this the Magnificat. Magnificat is the first Latin word. So if you read this in Latin, the first word that she says is Magnificat. And it's been sung over and over and over again. You go to many Catholic churches, you can hear it sung. It's, I said it's the first of four hymns. There's this. Uh, when the baby's born, Zachariah gives his Benedictus, which is the first word of that hymn, blessed. Then we hear the angels giving the good news to the shepherds and they sing Gloria. Now we all know what that means. In fact, we sing that sometimes, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And then when he comes to the temple, he comes to Simon and Simon gives what's called the Nunc Dementis. Dementis, excuse me. Um, now you're letting your servant. Now you're letting these four hymns. 
I'll tell you, maybe maybe one year I'll do a study of the four hymns right around Christmas time. But listen to Mary, listen to what she says. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. When Mary hears this greeting from Elizabeth, she could say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You're such a kind host. She didn't do that. She could say, yes, I am blessed among women. (laughs) And I'm humble too, right? (laughs) She didn't do that. She immediately turns and says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, we just read Proverbs. We were just going through a study of Proverbs. And in Proverbs, there's something called parallelism where the first line and the second line relate to each other. That's exactly what she does. She breaks forth into a poem. Instead of just it being some kind of uh, uh, speech meant to be consumed by the masses, she breaks forth in poetry, poetry that comes from the depths of her being. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You can almost hear that, that, that echo You can almost hear the echoes of the psalms of praise. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You can almost hear those echoes of Deuteronomy 6, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You can almost hear the echoes of the Old Testament coming to mind. In fact, she quotes from several different books of the Old Testament. She's going to quote from Genesis. She's going to quote from Deuteronomy. She's going to quote from Zechariah. She's going to quote from Isaiah. She's going to quote from several other passages in the Psalms. It's like she's pulling all of this from the Old Testament and bringing it forward and saying, and now it's, it's starting to come to fruition. I'm seeing all these things come into play. All these things, these threads that have been woven through, I'm starting to see the picture of the rug, of the quilt, of the, of the thing that God is making. My soul magnifies the Lord because I'm seeing what He's doing. You know, we, we begin, we say that we could praise God and we say that we worship God on Sundays. We call this worship service, Right? This is a worship service. But how many times do we walk in here not even thinking about what God has done, not even considering who He is, and we have to stop and be reminded of who He is and what He's done? You see, there's there's no praise if you don't remember. There's no praise if you can't look back on your life and see the difference God has made. Oh, you can sing the songs. You can talk about amazing grace. You can sing songs like Emmanuel, God with us. You can know the words. You can even sing the right notes or the wrong notes. It doesn't matter. But until you come face to face who God is, and until you realize what he has done, there will not be praise on your lips because you've got no reason to praise. But the moment that you begin to realize what God is doing, what God has been doing, what God will be doing, it it forces you, it compels you to praise. There's nothing else to do but praise God when you consider His works. 
My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's not just the baby jumping for joy. The mothers are jumping for joy. And they've got a secret that soon will cause shepherds to jump for joy. And wise men to ride on camels for miles and miles and miles for joy that will cause the masses to eat from a fish and bread lunch with joy, that will cause disciples the joy and the relief of being saved from a storm by a God who's not limited by just staying on a boat, who just walks across the storm like he owns the place, kind of because he does own the place. We're going to talk about joy. This is good news of great joy. No wonder God sings a whole angelic host to proclaim his birth. This is the Messiah. This is the outworking of thousands of years of God's work. And she says, why? For he has looked. He's seen me. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. God looked down. He saw this girl. A girl that probably from the time she was knee-high to a grasshopper, has been raised to love him. And nobody, except God, didn't think so. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Is That, that by the way, is um, the blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's that kind of blessing. It's the happy sort of blessing. For he who is mighty, how mighty? Almighty, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. When we look at what God has done, when we look at who God is, our only proper response is praise. Notice he doesn't say, she doesn't say that she has done great things. Notice she doesn't say that she's going to do great things. She doesn't say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as though it's some sort of promise that just because you said it, God has to honor it. She recognizes that she's not the one responsible for the great works. The mighty one is. The mighty one who, who brings out Israel from slavery with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. The mighty one whose arm is not shortened that he cannot save by many or by few. The mighty one who the roar of his voice causes the earth to quake and the waters to foam. The mighty one who made all this stuff in the first place. Oh, the mighty one has done great things for me. And the funny thing is, all that God has done at this point is make her pregnant with the Messiah, even though she couldn't be pregnant. The only thing God has done for her, her is shown her favor when she didn't deserve it. But it's still reason enough to praise. What has God done when you? Think about it for just a second. We sing songs like Count Your Blessings. I want you to, I want you to count not just the things that he's giving you, but the things he's done in you. Remember that old habit? Some of you used to smoke, used to drink, used to get carried away with it. Not anymore. Maybe that wasn't you. That was never me. I've tasted wine one time. It was at an Episcopalian communion, and it was 
terrible because they put like vinegar in it or something. And it just, it's the only time I've ever tasted wine. Never wanted it. That wasn't me. I grew up with an aunt who smoked all the time, swore I would never smoke. That is the most disgusting garbage I've ever smelled in my life. Never had a problem with that. But I tell you what, there's been some things that God's cleaned up in me. I used to think I was something. I used to think I am awesome. I'm smart. I'm good looking. I didn't think that very long. I used to think I was all that in a bag of chips. Turned out the bag was all crumbled chips because it had been smushed. Chips wasn't, just wasn't much of anything. God showed me. I had no reason to be proud in me. And I could truly praise him because he who is mighty has done great things in me. I've watched him now. It's taken him longer than it should have because of me. But I've watched him slowly kill that pride. And now I'm the most humble man I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. In all seriousness, he has taken a proud young man who used to think that I had to be the best in the room. And he's shown me that I'm not the best, but it's okay. I don't have to be. He's taken me off my pedestal. Now, he's still got a ways to go. I still get big-headed at times. But he knows how to deflate me. He knows how to humble me. See, the Mighty One has done great things for me. What has the Mighty One done for you? What has the Mighty One done in you? She goes on, not only what he's done, but who he is. Holy is his name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The, the generation to generation there, those are actually plural. Generations to generations. It's like uh, over in Exodus 34 where he says that the Lord is a loving God. That he, he loves those to thousands of generations of those who love him. I didn't put it in the PowerPoint, but Exodus 34, verse 6. This is one of those memorize it verses. Exodus 34, verse 6 is where he says this. He says, the Lord passed before him. This is, he's coming before Moses. <laughs> Moses has broken the first Ten Commandments. He's not not the commandments themselves, This the stones they're written on, okay? He's broken those stones that the Ten Commandments are written on. God makes him, gives him another set. And in that second set, he, he passes before him and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. What he's saying is, you know, I'm not a God that can be passed over. I'm not a God that can, that'll just lay down and, and take it and not let anybody do anything they shouldn't be doing. I'm going to punish sin, but I am a God merciful and gracious. I'm not a God that's looking just to judge you. I will judge you because of your sin. I have to. That's who I am. But I'm a God who wants to show mercy and who has shown mercy and in fact shows mercy day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. His mercies are made new every morning. That's the kind of God that we're serving. And so when she says holy is his name, she's not just saying, 
Oh, he's, he has a reputation for being holy. He's saying that's who he is. That's his character. And that mercy, mercy is for generations. I have to move pretty quickly. He turns the world upside down. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Those that are proud within, he scatters them just like Tower Babel. Men think, we're going to get together. We're going to build us a tower to reach to heaven. Next thing you know, they can't understand each other and they scatter because the mighty one reached out his arm. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Is it bad to be in charge? No. But it's bad when you aren't leading, being led by him. So he brings them down. He exalts those of humble estate, says the woman who was of humble estate, but exalted. He has filled the hungry with good things, like blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled, and the rich he has sent away empty. You see, God God lowers the lofty and lifts up the Lord. He doesn't just, and it's not just because the ones that are up high, well, that people shouldn't be rich, and so God makes them poor, serves them right. No, that's not it at all. There are people that will try to tell you billionaires shouldn't exist. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that when you aren't trusting in God, when you're ruling by oppressing, and when you're ruling by doing things the wrong way, God is going to put you in your place. He is going to humble the man who exalts himself. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble because the humble is willing to receive grace. The proud thinks it's all about him. There's a story of a few years after the pilgrims had settled, things had been going well. Their community had been growing and, and, and had plenty of food and things were going well. The first winter was terrible, but once they started working with Indians and learning how to plant food and grow, things started looking up. One year, though, they had a drought. A couple of months, no rain. And man, it is getting close to harvest season, just a few weeks away from the harvest. And it looks like there's not much of anything going to grow. Governor Bradford decides it's a desperate time. And so he prays, and within hours, the sky started filling with clouds and rain started coming. And someone came to him afterwards and said, what did you pray? He said, I prayed for us to be humble again. He was afraid that they had gotten so successful that they had lost their humility. You see, we can look at the things that God has done for us, and we can start to get a bad image that, that, that those are our works, that those are the things we've done. And I promise you that's a recipe for disaster. God opposes the proud. Give thanks to his name. Praise him for who he is. Praise him for what he has done. And it's not just you. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Another way to translate that would be um, that he has helped his son Israel. The word could be used for servant or son. Kind of both fit with Israel. Believing Israel, right? both sons of God and servants, kind of both fit with the church too. Sons, daughters, and servants. He has helped his son or his servant, Israel, or both, in remembrance of his mercy. Now, did he remember his mercy? Well, he never forgot it. But boy, we sure can 
don't forget his mercy. Let him wash over you memories of what he's done. Fill your mind with thoughts of who he is and the difference he's made in you. And I promise you, the only response that you'll be able to give, if you know him at all, is a response of praise. You know, sometimes we think that, sometimes we think that as we're going through life, as we're walking around, as we're seeing what different things have happened, and we think that it's all on us, like it's, it's my job. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We have a sign at work. You own your own development. You want to grow. You want to develop. You, you want to climb the ladder. You want to do more. You do it. You do, it's up to you. And there's a lot of ways where that's true, but may we never forget that it's God who deserves the praise because he is the mighty one. These women, what, what fascinates me about these women isn't that uh, they're so amazing. It isn't that the women are, are just such awesome people. It's that they just obey. They just do what God leads them to do. For one, for one, it's being God's servant to carry a baby before she's ever married. And for another, it's carrying a baby long after she got married, way too long after. For one, it was a wife of a priest who was barren. And now is not only bearing a son, but bearing testimony to what God has done and what God is doing and what God is about to do. For the other, it's not about her nearly so much as the fact that God is using her. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if I was in that boat, I'd have a little bit harder time. Maybe we all would. Maybe we would all want to exalt in ourselves. Maybe we would all want to say, look how awesome we are. But for these women, filled with the Holy Spirit, they turn their praise to the Father in anticipation of the Son. That's a beautiful picture of what the Christian life should be for us. What has God done for you? Maybe you need to repent of some pride. Maybe you just need to return praise for what he's done. If you need someone to talk to, I'll be here. If you just want a place to pray, the altar's open. Whatever God is doing in your heart, I would ask you, consider what he's done. Consider who he is. And respond with the praise that he's due. Let me pray for you. Father, in this invitation, I pray that you would lead us. Lead us to follow suit in giving you the praise, giving you the glory. Maybe that means praising you inside. Maybe it means trusting you. We've got problems, we've got situations that we're dealing with, and we just, we just need to trust you. Maybe it means going to tell somebody about you. Speaking the words that you've put on our hearts to someone who needs to hear your truth. Father, whatever it may be, you lead us when we sing this song.